that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. We can bow today and surrender to Him as Savior or we can bow to Him one day as judge. My prayer is that you would take every advantage of the opportunity that lies directly before you and surrender your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's where we're going today in our text. As we look together in Jonah chapter 3, I invite your attention to the Word of God. Jonah chapter 3, we see a unique second chance as we're going to look and study under the heading that I have called an unexpected movement of God. An unexpected movement of God. Jonah chapter 3, and I'm going to ask if you would this morning to rise to your feet just in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we read these 10 verses of Jonah chapter 3 together. I know that many of you just got settled in good. I appreciate you standing together with me. Here's the Word of the Lord. Now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. And proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd or flock taste a thing. Do not let him eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let man call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. You may be seated, and may God add blessing and understanding to the reading of his word in our hearing. It has been said over and over again, even I think probably from this pulpit, that by definition, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Maybe some of you have lived in that world in the physical realm. You have just continued to do what you were doing eat what you are eating, not exercise to the level of inactivity that you have enjoyed and decided somehow in your mind, if I keep doing this, it's just magically going to get better. It's going to change. Maybe you've experienced this in the financial world or that part of your life. Well, I'm just going to spend freely and not keep track of things and, and not save money and scratch your head wondering why it hasn't turned out differently. 
You see, this idea of just continuing on the same path and not turning away from it and expecting something different to happen is really part and parcel with something that we all share. And it's just a simple sense of rebellion. We want to do things our way on our time frame. We want things to, to fall out in our direction. Maybe for some of you this morning, there's a need for a change in your life. I would bet if I could sit down with you over dinner or over a cup of coffee or just in casual conversation and begin to ask you about how your life is going right now. Some of you would say, Pastor, there are some things that need to change. There are some things that I am I'm just grossly aware of that I know need to be corrected. They need to be different. I wish that they were not as they are. Can I say to you this morning, if that's you, if you're in a place where you, you would say, I, I know there are some things that need to change in my life, maybe, just maybe, God brought you here this morning. We, we believe that He's sovereign. We believe, as we have studied over these past several weeks, that He hems us in, that He arranges circumstances in our life, that He drives us to places where we look up to Him. And maybe, just maybe, on this rainy Sunday morning, you came out of routine, but God had a bigger picture plan. God wanted to speak a word to you from His Word. God wanted to speak directly to your heart, not just from my heart or my mouth, but from His Word. Perhaps you came here this morning and God brought you here this morning to inform you that it's high time for a change. Now, I would say it this way. You can dream about changes in your life. You can plan for changes. You can hope for change. You can write them down. But unless you walk on a different path, unless you turn and do some things differently, then you're always going to get what you've always got. Otherwise, you're living out that very definition I think about this man, Jonah. He was a man who had experienced a change. The last verses of the last chapter that we read said that God had appointed a great fish and had literally vomited him out of his mouth up onto the shore. He had lived there in the belly of this great fish at the bottom of the sea for three days and now he has come out of it. This is not a pleasant circumstance. This is a, a hard place. And we saw last week him crying out to the Lord and praying. He, he's a man who had heard from God but ran. A man whom God had gotten his attention. And as we've studied this remarkable story, we saw that Jonah was headed down, 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 down. Four times at least it said he went down to the city, down to the dock, down to the ship, down in the ship, and then down out of the ship. Rebellion away from God leads downward. And God has gotten his attention. And now he's come back because God has appointed this fish. Dr. Ray Pritchard, who is with the American Family Association, asked some great questions about Jonah. Maybe they would be uh, good for us and fitting. He asked the question, what would be your next move? What would you do if you had been vomited up by a great fish? And he said, well, obviously, you probably, first and foremost, would just clean yourself up. You would clean yourself off. I mean, you've been covered with muck and mire and seaweed for three days and three nights. But what then? In our society and in our day, Dr. Pritchard went on to say, kind of tongue-in-cheek, if, if Jonah had lived in this modern world today, he probably would have done a reality show. He probably would have done interviews, and, and he probably would have shared his story with the world. Can you see it now, the Jonah show? 
I mean, I bet you would tune in. You would TiVo it. You would watch it over and over again. This is a fascinating fish story. But I want us to see more than anything else, this is no fish tale. Really, the fish is just a, a supporting character. This is a love story, not a fish story. This is a story about a loving God, Jehovah, and his servant, Jonah. Jehovah and Jonah together in the midst of this story are going to show us some incredible things about what God wants to do in all of our lives together. Now, some might say, well, if he had this super spiritual experience, we saw him crying out. In this day and age, everybody wants to plant a church. They think they can do it better than the next guy. And so they, he might plant a church, call it the Church of the Whales. And right there on the beach, they would have these glorious services. Maybe if Jonah was an entrepreneur or you were, you'd start a water park. Those are all the rage these days. What if it would look like this? Jonah's water world. I mean, it could just have all kinds of fun things. You could make lots of money during the hot summer days of South Mississippi. If you think about it, though, a man who has spent that kind of time in the belly of a great fish has lots of opportunities if he wanted to take them. A creative type might try to catapult himself into fortune and fame, but that's not what Jonah did. No, we don't see Jonah doing any of those things. What if you were Jonah? At this point, you, you would do probably exactly what Jonah did. You would wait for God to tell you what to do next, and you would do that. Make no mistake, this was not a pleasant experience. In fact, we, we won't go into it today. We'll, we'll talk in the coming weeks, but J. Vernon McGee and, and many other Bible commentators say, if you stop and think about it, we say, well, Jonah lived in that belly of the fish. It doesn't say anything about him living. Many Bible scholars believe that Jonah died and was resurrected. In fact, Jesus later would point back to Jonah as a sign and say, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man also will be in the earth. I don't know if you've ever given that great consideration. A powerful, powerful story that Dr. Um, McGee tells about a college student who had a professor very cynically attacking the Bible because of Jonah, mainly because of the fish. He said, do you really think that a man could be sustained in the belly of the fish? And he said to that professor, it doesn't say that he was sustained. It simply doesn't say it. You say, well, he prayed in the belly. Well, as we read last week, it sounds to me like he was praying as he was going over. Lord, the waves are covering me up. And maybe, just maybe, Jonah died there. I, I don't know. And for the sake of our discussion, that ultimately doesn't matter here. We just know that he was inside the stomach of this whale, the belly of this fish. And, and the acids probably took its toll on Jonah. His skin was probably bleached. His hair might have been completely gone. He, he was transformed. But I know this much. He, at this point, immediately responded to the call of God fascinating if we go and see what Jonah listens for and what he hears because he didn't have to wait long we read it together in verse 1 now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time now if you go back and you look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 where does it begin the word of the Lord came to Jonah Jonah chapter 3 sounds almost exactly like Jonah chapter 1 the word of the Lord came to Jonah, except here he adds, with emphasis, a second time. He comes to him again. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Notice with me the emphasis of the second time. Jonah got a second chance. Now, I want to make sure that we don't presume on God's grace. Some of you read this or you've heard pastors that say this. The pastor would say, our God is a God of second chances. 
Not everybody in the Bible got a second chance. I mean, if you want to talk about first chances only, one strike you're out, zero tolerance policy, ask Ananias and Sapphira. They lied unto the Lord and they died before the Lord. Ask Lot's wife, did she get a second chance? Didn't happen. Ask King Saul who was stripped of the crown because of his sinful rebellion. What about Achan? We studied him as we looked at the book of Joshua. Not everybody got a second chance. And the reason that I share that is because if you are here this morning listening to the preaching of the word of God, you have been given a second chance. You have opportunity to hear. I don't know if you have this week fully obeyed the Lord or if you've rebelled against the Lord. But I do know this. God has given you a pulse and a breath and opportunity to respond to him today. Jonah was given a second chance. Now, I want to make sure that we don't presume upon God's grace, but let's do this. Let's make sure we keep biblical truth in balance. I can tell you without hesitation two or three things. Number one, God always welcomes prodigals. These are not in your notes, but I want you to hear them. I don't know that God's going to give everybody a second chance. I just know this. God calls, and as God calls, when prodigals come to their senses and return, God always welcomes them. He's like the father we see in the book of Luke and the gospels there as the father longing and looking afar off as his son was coming back. God always welcomes prodigals. I would say it this way. The light is always on at the father's house. He's always waiting for us to come home. That is very true. But Jonah did not know in the belly of the great fish what would happen and when he would get out or if he would get out. We saw that in his prayer. He he cried out for the Lord, but you need to know that. Jonah didn't know. Today, I'm not sure where you are, but again, on this rainy Sunday morning, God brought you into the house of God to hear the word of God preached. And before you're hearing, I want us to dive into some truths that maybe will encourage us. I want you to see this. This is an encouragement to me. Our disobedience doesn't cancel God's call. Our disobedience does not cancel God's call. God's call still goes out. Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim against it or cry out against it the message that I will give you. It's interesting to me. God's plan and his purpose still moves forward just because Jonah had disobeyed. I I love this thought. He doesn't hold a grudge. He says, Jonah, I'm going to give you this opportunity. But at the second uh, thought, he doesn't lighten the load. He doesn't say, Jonah, now that you've prayed and cried out to me, you can just go to Tarshish. Why don't you just go to Tarshish and preach there? Jonah still had hatred in his heart for the Ninevites. They were still a cruel and brutal people. They were still very, very hated throughout the world. And he had gone as far away west as he possibly could from this eastern city of Nineveh. But God didn't change his plan or his program. God wanted to speak to the city. He wanted Jonah to speak to the city. Now, there's some things here that you and I should uh, pull out. It's important for us to see God cares about the worker as much as he does the work. God cares about the worker as much as he does the work. He cares for Jonah. In fact, probably more so if all God cared about was Nineveh, then he could have gotten anyone to do it. I mean, he wanted someone to proclaim a message of warning to the Ninevites. But he appointed a great fish. 
He watched over the rebellious journey of Jonah. The fish expelled him onto the beach, and he extended a call again. That leads me to believe that God's not through with you. Amen? That was a great place to insert an amen. Are you thankful that God's not through with you? Are you thankful that even from the midst of bad circumstances or difficult circumstances, or even when you blow it, God's call is not canceled out because He has a great care in His heart and life, His character for the worker as much as for the worked. God is a personal God. Again, I'll go back to this. This is no fish tale. It's a love story. It's a story of Jehovah and Jonah. And he sends Jonah. He could have called someone else, but he wanted Jonah to confront the evil, not just in Nineveh, but the evil in his own heart. And to see something of the great love that was inside God's heart. Maybe today you have not moved into an area of active service and God's wanting to confront not the evil of your neighbors or your neighborhood or your workplace. He wants to confront the evil and rebellion in your own heart so that you might get a glimpse into the character and the love that is in the heart of God. A couple of statements that I would add to that. God wants to lead you, not leave you. God wants to lead you, not leave you. His desire is not to leave you behind. I love the picture of the shepherd that would leave the 99 and go after the wayward one. The heart of God is that he loves lost things. He loves those wayward things. He welcomes prodigals. And for you and for me, it is so encouraging to know that even when I take missteps, God is leading and his leading is consistent and continual. He doesn't want to leave us behind. He wants to lead us. And secondly, I would say it this way. He wants to use you, not lose you. He wants to use you in in his own amenable way. Mark Lowry shares a great, great story uh, about how God um, was working in his life. It's in his book called Out of Control. Some of you will appreciate this. We got to see Mark Lowry last week. He, he tells about his next door neighbor during childhood. And he, he said her name was Helen Hunt. And her son was named Fritz. And this is what Mark Lowry wrote about Fritz and Helen. He said, I used to beat the tar out of that kid every single day. We'd start out wrestling and I'd end up whipping him. And he'd end up running home crying to Miss Helen. And he said, now, that was fretful. I wasn't worried about Fritz, but I was worried about Miss Helen, and here's why. He said, I'll never forget Helen. She was short and had the hairiest toes I'd ever seen on a woman. He said, she was the only person I knew that could grow her own furry slippers. Again, this is Mark Lowry. He said, she wouldn't go barefooted because she was afraid of split ends. Some of you will appreciate that later. I just appreciate Mark Lowry sharing that story. But Helen didn't like me, he said. I have no idea why. Maybe it was my tussling with her son. But when my mama was about 13 months pregnant with my little sister, Helen walked up to my mama outside the house, pointed at mother's stomach, and said, I hope that child's not like Mark. Mama swung around like only a pregnant woman could and said, listen here, Helen, one day God's going to use Mark. And he said, when I was a hyperactive kid coming home with notes from my teachers hanging off my lapels, mom would read those notes, tuck me into bed, and she would say, Mark, one day God is going to use you. 
little did he know at that time that God would use him in writing songs and telling stories and ministering to people through comedy in incredible ways. And he would touch our lives in so many ways, writing songs like, Mary, did you know? I think about Jonah. Jonah was that kind of man. God was going to use him. He had to live his life with this message beating through his heart. I want to use you. I mean, after all his rebellion, after all he had been through, after being in the belly of this fish for three days, vomited onto the shore, Jonah surely understood something about the, God's desire and love and God's plan to use him. Again, God could have used anyone to reach Nineveh, but he chose to call out a second time to Jonah. I want you to see this. Number three, God's perspective is bigger than ours. He loved this great city, and his heart goes out to those who want nothing to do with him. Look, if you will, he, he says in verse 3, So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. By the way, I love the immediacy of the obedience. He says in verse 2, Arise and go. Verse 3, So Jonah rose and went. He went to Nineveh according to the Lord. And we see that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days walk. And so this city that is massive, miles and miles, he's walked one-third of the way through the city. And he goes to share. But why is he sharing with these people? These people were brutal, as I've mentioned before. They would often skin their enemies alive. They would pull their lips off. They did heinous things. They would hang them on crosses. They were brutal. They were proud of their brutality. They were angry at the world, it seemed, but they were powerful and they were forced to be reckoned with and they were godless. They had nothing of reverence, respect, honor for Jehovah. And God said, I want you to go there. You can imagine Jonah's trepidation. You can imagine Jonah in his mind, even after the word of the Lord came a second time, being willing to say, I'll go, but still with his knees knocking. They could kill me in an instant. Jonah could be in this place of, of being incredibly fearful, but God has a bigger perspective than anything you and I can comprehend. God has the nations on his heart. And when I begin to think about the, the nations of the world, as I begin to think about our opportunity tomorrow night to hear about Southeast Asia, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of cities with a million people in them that you've never heard the name of. There are people, scores of people who have never heard the name Jesus. And you and I have an opportunity to go and share. And yes, it seems big and broad and scary and beyond our abilities. But if the God of the universe who can speak the universe into existence, who can appoint a great fish, who can call to one personally to send him to the most brutal city on the face of the planet and protect that man, can't he surely take care of us reaching out to the nations? Maybe, just maybe, we need to get a glimpse of not only the love that's in God's heart, but the power that is His character. He loves this city, and His heart goes out to those who want nothing to do with Him. And, and I want you to see this, number four, God's purposes are bigger than ours. Now, I, I'm going to do a little speculation if I can. I don't know for sure. But what I want you to see is just the, the simplicity of this process. First and foremost, there was swift obedience. Jonah obeyed God. He didn't originally, but here, immediately. Verse 2, verse 3. Arise and go, he arose and went. But when we see this obedience, the people immediately begin to listen. And he preached a very simple message. 
In fact, his message in my translation, I'm reading from the New American Standard, it's eight words. In the Hebrew, it was five words. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That may be the, the greatest miracle in the world. You say, Pastor, have you ever preached an eight-word sermon? And the answer is absolutely no. I can't say my name in eight words hardly. Some of you said that would be an unexpected move of God. If you pre- What if I preached? An eight-word sermon this morning. What I'd already be done. You'd already be eating lunch. Or maybe you would be on your faces before the Lord like the Ninevites. If I just said, you need to repent or God is going to judge you. And I closed my Bible and walked off. Jonah had a message for the people. But I want you to hear this. He didn't just have a message. He was a message. You think about this man bleached out from the acid of the stomach of this fish. A man who's perhaps hairless. I I don't know, but in speculation, I was talking to a couple of pastor friends this past week. And they said, maybe, just maybe, Jonah looked like the aftermath of one of the enemies that they have dealt with. They they were brutal toward them. And they did all kinds of heinous, heinous things, scalping and otherwise. Maybe, just maybe, this dead man walking is walking through the city and saying, Repent because this place is going to be overturned. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned. Can you imagine the fear? I mean, we're talking about a city that could have had upwards of 600,000 people. We're talking about a massive city, three days to walk across it. He walks one-third of the way, one day's journey. And they immediately begin to repent, so much so that this simple message reaches the king, and the king repents. The king says, he, he sets aside his robe, and he puts on sackcloth, and he sits down on the ashes, and he declares a fast. Not man, nor beast, nor flock, nor herd should eat or drink a thing. That was an incredible response. Listen to this. Uh, if in Luke chapter 11, verse 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. You see, Jesus speaking, pointing back to Jonah, he he understood something clearly. I, I don't know if it was his physical appearance. I don't know if it was simply the spiritual power that was upon his life. I just know this. This man stood up and spoke five Hebrew words and people fell on their faces before a holy God. That, that leads me to believe that we have yet a little more to go in our understanding of the holiness of God. We sit through service after service, sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study, radio and television programs. We read from devotionals and we miss the thought that God is holy and will not tolerate sin. And this morning we've been given this opportunity. And I'm not trying to preach hard for hard preaching's sake. I'm simply saying to you in the most impassioned way I can, is there a change that needs to happen in your life? If there is, my recommendation is run down the aisle. You find an encourager, a staff member, a prayer partner, and you say, I want to get right with the Lord right now. Oh, that we would repent. You see, there was swift obedience, a simple message, but then there was a sudden repentance. They, they turned. It's important for us to keep in mind this sign. Jonah ending up in Nineveh, the text says that it took him three days to go through it. And so here, this man Jonah begins to preach to the pagan city. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In these five words in the Hebrew language. They repented. 
Now, I, I don't know about you, but I just tongue-in-cheek began to think, much like I did about what Dr. Pritchard said about what Jonah might have done after being vomited out of the fish. Scott, you have been given the assignment to reach a city of 600,000 people. Okay, let me pull the best and the brightest together. Let's think about a Nineveh, a Nineveh for Jesus campaign or say yes Nineveh campaign or a God loves Nineveh campaign and we're going to rent out a tent and we're going to put it on television and we're going to do all that we can because, I mean, this depressing message just won't work, will it? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's an impending, of, a message of impending judgment. Can you imagine how that must have been? You know, people say, well, he's not from around here, is he? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He has a strange accent. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That preacher smells like fish. It's not the way that we would do it. It's not the way that we would put it together. We, we would hire an advanced team and get a PR man and put the ad campaign together and buy billboards and social media blitz and Nineveh for Jesus t-shirts and we would do training and set up buses and counselors and do all of this stuff. I, I think it's maybe high time for us to realize that in the church of Jesus Christ this morning, in Hardy Street Baptist Church, we don't need more stuff. We need the Spirit of God. We need the fire of heaven to fall. We need revival to break forth in our own hearts. And when you and I get in tune with and in sync with the Spirit of God, we begin to see the holiness of God and worship Him in spirit and in truth and respond in simple obedience with clear message that Jesus Christ saves, then our world can be turned upside down. Joshua went to Nineveh and gave this negative eight-word sermon. He skipped all the other stuff. And here's his plan. I'm just going to tell them what God told me. Jonah, what are you going to do? I'm going to walk around and preach what God's told me to walk around and preach. Jonah, what's your plan B? There's not one. That's it. By the way, why do you suppose that he focused on judgment? I think maybe, in part, that's what he cared about. He was not... Very, very connected to these Ninevites, even still. He, perhaps in his heart of hearts, wanted God to judge the Ninevites. He'd been through judgment. Say what you will, nobody can ever accuse Jonah of being a preacher of cheap grace. He was a hard-nosed preacher, and he preached God's judgment. But the reality is, he didn't have to like it. He just had to be obedient to it. You see, there was a shocking response. We see them repenting. Charles Spurgeon said this, Faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He who obeys God trusts God, and he who trusts God obeys God. So all of this comes together, and there are so many angles we could look at it. We could talk about, and we will in subsequent weeks, talk about the repentance of Nineveh. We could talk about the great revival. We could talk about the fact that God relented. The word is pretty amazing, that he repented. God turned away from his wrath. It says when he saw their deeds of repentance, 
God moves toward repentant sinners and, and, and this dynamic of God preparing the way and preparing the preacher and preparing the people to hear. And in this supernatural divine encounter, they all converge together. And maybe, just maybe, that's what's happened this morning. Maybe this morning you came and you said, I, I was coming out of habit. I checked it off the list. I've got plans this afternoon. But maybe the God of the universe brought you here today, appointed this time for you to hear this truth. Jesus loves you and that he died for you and he shed his blood so that you would not have to spend eternity separated from God. That you can be saved gloriously, radically changed from the inside out. And maybe the message for today is this. Some of you have walked in disobedience and you need to understand. You say, well, I trust God. I come to church. No, he's calling you to a deeper level of service and commitment to reach your neighbors, to reach the nations, to reach the next generation. He's calling you to faithful service. And you see in this simple repentance that happens because of a simple message, this sudden repentance, and we see God working in the heart of one who would repent himself and leading others to this place of repentance that God would use you. It takes me to my last point of the morning. Every single one of us are accountable and will be held accountable for what we've done with the opportunities God has given us. It's true of Jonah. Jonah was held accountable for what he did in the first place. Jonah was given a second chance. You've been given a second chance today. The Ninevites were given a chance to hear a message of hope. You said, that doesn't sound very hopeful. No, the message is, if you don't repent, this is certain. And they said, maybe God, maybe God, maybe God. And God did not do it, it says. Isn't that amazing? God withheld his judgment. God held nothing back of his judgment for our sin. All of his judgment rested on Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. He died willingly in our place so that we would not have to face death, separation. Today, are you in a place of clear understanding? Are we clear? You will be held accountable for what you did or did not do with the opportunities that God laid before you. And I don't want to stand before God empty-handed. I want to take many to heaven with me. I want to be a soul winner, as the Bible says. I want to share the gospel with others. I want to be a disciple maker and reproduce myself. I want this church to be filled, a, a culture, an atmosphere of disciple making, a culture, an atmosphere of salvation. We ought to cheer and, and, and celebrate every time someone is saved, but we ought to be marching into our world sharing the good news everywhere that we can, boldly, with unashamedness, with, with confidence. I don't know why Jonah had so much power in this message. I just know this. When your obedience is the proof of, the demonstration of your faith, and they're bound together, Charles Spurgeon nailed it. Those who trust God obey God, and those who obey God trust God. Are you trusting in the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. 
We thank you for this powerful word. We thank you for this unexpected move that you would relent of your judgment and that you would move toward repentant sinners and that you would save them gloriously, that they would express faith in you. Father, today, would you do that amongst us? God, I pray that even in the sound of my voice, there are those who need to move toward you. And as they do, you would meet them with open arms. Father, have your way during this invitation time this morning.